2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. I got to a point where I didn't even want to share the gospel with people because I was like, guess what? You're going to be saved when you die because you believe in Jesus, but you're going to feel miserable for everything you do for the rest of your life and suffer. But I was starting to experience freedom in this monumental way uh, as I understood who I was in Christ and who I was as a new creation. Yo. Welcome to the Death of Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with my brother, Dan Holman. And I've known Dan probably 20 years now. And when I first met him, he had he was with my cousin, and things hadn't worked out. And then they got back together, they got married. But the, the story is, back then I would hear, man, this dude believes some crazy things about the gospel. And I really did not understand what people were talking about, and today is the day we get to have that conversation about that. I really enjoyed this conversation. I've known this guy forever, and now, man, we just, we're in agreement in the spirit. So, this is a powerful episode. I hope you're blessed by it like I was. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let's get on with it. So, buckle up, strap in, love y'all, appreciate y'all. This is real talk, God is loving on me Colorful and innocent, that's on me Got me standing in the light and it's on me It's a new heart, it's a new beat It's a new thing, it's a new seed It's a new thing, it's a new dream It's a new heart, Yeah man, so you would say, tell me where your story begins Where would you say your, uh, the old Dan Where would that story begin in your mind? Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of hard to my, my testimony is a little bit different than some of my friends that I've heard uh, because uh, there's a a clear like uh, I I had a sin struggle in my life, but there's a clear like moment of change for many people I know. But I got saved at a really early age, mm-hmm. and 
and I know that I knew the Lord hmm. um, based on things that happened in my life. So it's easier for me to kind of just share a little bit of my life story and then what I came to understand um, in like high school, college time that transformed my life into the abundant life, if that's okay. No, do it, bro. Yeah, so so my life started out um, uh, uh, pretty tumultuous when I was two months old. My uh, mom got angry at me. I think she, my biological mom uh, got angry at me. I think she was suffering from postpartum depression or something like that. Because she got angry at me and she threw me across the living room and I hit uh, elk horns in the living room. And so, so I ended up having to get 11 stitches in the back of my head. Um, it's amazing that I even uh, can think straight, you know, even just from that. Wow. Um, but I, I grew up, uh, my parents were divorced uh, not long after that. And um, uh, I grew up. Uh, with a real stark contrast between my dad who was uh, willing to sacrifice anything. I remember him even um, not eating so that we could eat, you know, cause in the military you didn't get paid much. And, um, and then I had my biological mom who would leave us for days uh, in our, in her apartment and go on these drug binges and stuff. And I remember like having to crawl to the, the, refrigerator and the only thing I could eat were like the unpeeled carrots in the bottom of the fridge. Well, um, and my dad would actually have to call the office or get, go to the office and get them to unlock the door and then, and then take us, you know, to safety. So I had this really stark contrast and I had a mom who was pretty neglectful. And then, uh, and I, and I grew up with that. That was like Idaho and Guam because my dad was military. And then when we moved to Washington, DC, I, and in kindergarten, December, um, of my kindergarten year, I had a pretty dramatic life altering event where I was, uh, run over by an 18 wheeler. Oh, mercy. And so, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a miracle in itself, you know, and, uh, and I actually grew up being the crippled kid in school that everyone made fun of. And even though I was taller than everyone and bigger than everyone, I also uh, limped and I had leg problems. And so I ended up having about 13 reconstructive surgeries initially. The uh, initial surgery was 20 hours long and that was just to save my life and then had reconstructive surgeries from there. And so that's, uh, you know, that's what I kind of uh, grew up experiencing was a uh, broken home, uh, drugs in uh, one with one of the parents, uh, physical disabilities. Um, uh, my sister uh, was abducted by my biological mom for a year. And so heartbreak and not being able to protect her. And... Um, just a, a lot of brokenness, you know, uh, a, um, there were beautiful things as well, but there was just a, a lot of brokenness. And when I was 13 years old, um, 
they realized when I was standing there that my hips were kind of catawampus, you know? Uh-huh. And, and so my one leg was an inch and a half shorter than the other. And I guess when uh, the accident happened, it, it hit some growth plates or something like that. And just one leg didn't grow as quickly. And so they decided to do this new surgery um, on my leg. Uh, at the time, it was kind of new. It was called the Elizarov procedure, where they they break your bones in two places, and they hold your leg together with pins and wires and like this exoskeleton. And they they uh, have these little clickers, and they hold your bones just far enough apart that they keep trying to grow together, but not so close that they connect. And you have to turn these little clickers every day. Um, and it just stretches your bones out faster, but keeps your bones. Uh, they keep trying to grow together. Wow. And because I, he- yeah, it was, it was painful. It's the most pain I've ever been in in my life. Cause you had to walk on it as well to stimulate bone growth. And so you're actually walking on the frame that's on the outside of your leg. Mercy. And uh, the problem is, is that I, I heal really fast. And so instead of three clicks twice a day, I had to do uh, six clicks twice a day. And I could actually feel my skin tearing on the second set of clicks. Oh, mercy. And so I'm 13. You know, 13 is already a rough age. Um, I'm, I have this surgery. Uh, I'm walking around and I'm uh, in a, a gang-filled school as a crippled kid. You can imagine what that was like. And in the middle of my surgery, my dad gets stationed to New Jersey and my family has to move to New Jersey and I have to stay in Arkansas to finish out the surgery. Wow. And and so I stay with some uh, friends of ours from church, Bud and Nancy Hancock, who every year they did teen missions. They absolutely loved the Lord. They were amazing people. Um. And, uh, I was staying with them and they took me to a passion play and I'm sitting in the back of this passion play and I'm, I'm angry at God, right? Like, uh, I have had, uh, from the age of 13, I've had all these things happen to me and then some, like I just gave like the quick, uh, bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Uh, childhood testimony. Um, I had all these things happen to me. I'm sitting there in a wheelchair in pain with my family gone. And I'm saying to God, you know, like, what did I ever do to you uh, to to have these things happen? You know? Mm. And uh, I knew the Lord. I had seen the Lord while I was in the hospital uh, when I was um, when I was five. I'd seen Jesus and um, so I knew the Lord, but I was really just like hurt and broken and wondering, you know, why. And in that moment, I heard God speak to me and say, I've allowed these things to happen because I want you to be un- be able to understand people and I want to use you in a mighty way. And hmm. so, so I said, okay, Lord, anything I ever will be or ever will have is yours. And it was this sacrificial to the death commitment. Mm. And so from that point on, I felt called to ministry. I was this like weird teenager running around and be like, I want to be a missionary, you know, which wasn't really <laughs> popular, but I didn't care, you know. <laughs> mm. 
and from the Lord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Lord is near. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, uh, I had this just dramatic shift in my desire and my commitment to the Lord. Like I knew Him, but this was a yeah to the death. Uh, commitment. And so growing up as a teenager, you know, I had, uh, uh, I had different churches that we went to because we moved around so much and different influences and different, uh, ways that people see, uh, the Bible and, and what they believe. And so somehow I had got in my head that, uh, like God and Jesus was a conditional, loving God. Hmm. And so I would read passages where Jesus said, you know, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And I would ask myself, uh, do I have life or do I have the abundant life? Hmm. You know, and if I was honest with myself, I'd just have to say I had life. And I wanted something more. My heart was longing for something more. It was longing for that abundant life. And, uh, and so I read, uh, this is like now, uh, senior year of high school, junior, senior year of high school. I read, uh, Galatians five sixteen, which says walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And at that point I was struggling uh, really bad with, uh, lust and, uh, pornography, mm-hmm. which was introduced to me, you know, back uh, back before the computer days, um, you know, in a shed in the back of, uh, someone's house with a dirty magazine, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, but, but, but I I knew that, that there was a, a freedom, right? Like if the sun has set you free, you're truly free indeed. And so I knew that there was a, uh, a freedom that was, um, that I was longing for that I wasn't finding in all the things that I was trying to attain for the Lord, like trying to learn, learn, learn. Uh, because if I learn more then maybe I'll be able to eventually fix my problems for God, you know? And so, so I was just longing for something more. And, um, and so I read Galatians five sixteen, and I ran to my teachers and I said, you know, it says, Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is that possible? And I said, well, it's possible, but not probable, you mm. know? Mm. And my heart was just like, wah, 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 <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, or I think it's like First or Second Peter where it says, therefore, my brethren, be even uh, more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And I was like, never stumble, you know, like it's saying some things here, you know, and everyone would just, they'd knock it down, you know, because, uh, the idea was that you're a sinful, uh, a, a sinful wretch saved by grace, you know, right. With the emphasis on the simple wretch. And so I wasn't satisfied with it. You know, I was part of an inner city evangelism team where we'd uh, like old school hand out gospel tracts and tell people about Jesus and what he did on the cross, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to a point where I didn't even want to share the gospel with people. Cause I was like, why am I going to like, why am I going to doom these people to the same misery that I feel right? Like, guess what? 
you know, you're going to be saved uh, when you when you uh, die because you believe in Jesus, but you're going to feel miserable for everything you do for the rest of your life and suffer. You know, <laughs> I, I, I it didn't make any sense to me, you know. And why not just wait till right before someone dies and share the gospel? Because Jesus paid for their sins in their entirety already. So why not just, you know, wait, right? Like, like a guessing game, you know, like, oh, oh, they're getting close. Fire, you know? Right. Um, and so uh, as I am uh, in my senior year of high school, I start dating uh, this girl named Christy. It's my cousin. Who, Spoiler alert, everybody. Your cousin? Yeah. Yeah, who's your cousin? Sweetest, kindest person I know. And so um, neither of us uh, know uh, our freedom in Christ or who we are as a new creation. But we're both longing for something more. And we start dating and we start doing this Bible study together. And I'm just telling her, like, I, f I feel like there's something more, you know. And we start looking at some of these things, but it still uh, still couldn't, like, still something was missing. Hmm. But we truly had a, a desire and a heart uh, to follow the Lord. And so coming from what we felt like were two families that had a hard time communicating we really from the gate tried to make sure that we communicated well and we understood that that was kind of one of the number one uh, problems within a marriage is um not not communicating with each other well you know on a right. on a relational level and so um so yeah, it was young, uh, and I think a lot of people didn't quite understand it. And so, so while we're married, um, I'm still seeking the Lord, right? I'm still mm -hmm. longing for something more. We have a a a commitment to uh, trying to do our best, but my struggle was I felt like I felt like I could never get free from my sin and mm -hmm. like confession and repentance was this idea of like, I, I sin. Um, even though I don't want to, I do it and I ask God to forgive me. And then I wait for his forgiveness and I, and I don't feel his forgiveness. So I don't feel like I can ever repent because I don't know if he's forgiven me or not. You know, hmm. and I would just sit in this state of like waiting and wondering and suffering because I could never be, I, I could never be free. And so I read Romans six and my whole world uh, turned upside down hmm. because one of the things I decided to do was I decided to say, Lord, I'm going to chuck everything that I think I know or everything that I think I understand, everything that I've been taught. And I'm asking you to just speak to me and show me what you have to say in the Bible. And Romans 6, 
You know, if we were buried with him in his death, then we were also raised with him in his resurrection so that you could walk in newness of life. I, yeah, I was, I was transformed. Like I began to go, wait a minute, this thing is talking about how I've been made a new creation. The Bible's talking about um, how all the old things have passed away. Behold, he's made all things new, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, Paul says, cast off the old man and put on the new man, which is created in tr- true righteousness and holiness. And I started to uh, think about like, wait a minute, uh, am I my old self or am I a new creation? You know, like, mm. what does the Bible say? And when it showed in Rome, showed me in Romans 6 that uh, I was no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And that, that I uh, had been set free uh, from sin. Mm-hmm. And even in Romans 8, where it takes it even further and says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in the, de- the spirit of God dwells in you. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would read right before Romans 8, where it's talking about the carnal mind and the carnal man. And, you know, it's, it ends with like the carnal uh, man can cannot please God, right? Cannot please God. Yeah. Right. And I would stay there. Like, I would just like sit there and be like, see, I'm carnal. You know, I can't please God, you know? Read the next verse. Yeah, I never read the, I never, like, somehow I was blind to the next verse. And so, um, so I. So let me ask you this question. Yeah. How, how did you stumble upon Romans 6 and what, how old are you and what time, like, how long had you been married when this is going on? Going on? Yeah. So that this was like 20 years ago. So I apologize if it's a little foggy, right? <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Dude. Um, <laughs> It was somewhere, um, like, I think it was either right before we got married or right after we got, I think it was actually right before we got married. Cause I remember, uh, chewing on this stuff while I was in my college dorm room and we weren't married yet when I was in my college dorm room. So it was my sophomore year of college. And, um, that's when I started. And you were just searching the scriptures and you happened upon Romans six. Yeah. And you're, man, that's diligence in the lord man that's awesome yeah um i i really love like word studies i really love like idea studies so i spent six months to a year studying just the grace of god and um looked at every like i used my strongs concordance and i looked at every verse that mentions the grace of god and studied it you know and then sought the lord on on what he was saying in that and looked at the Greek and looked at, um, all the things, you know? So, uh, so I was doing that for trying to understand this, this freedom that I was longing for, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted, a, a, a burden that was light and easy to bear, right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for it is light and easy to bear. And I was, I was longing for that. And so I wasn't satisfied until I found it because I, those things in the scripture, the things that it said in the scriptures, if I believe them to be true, must be true in my life, Hmm. whether I am finding it or not, because I believe the Bible to be true. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of it being true or not. It was a matter of me understanding how to have it in my life. Right. 
That's that's real. So, so yeah, I just sought it till I found it. Right, Jesus says, "Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be open. Ask and it shall be given." And so, I did, and uh, and and actually felt pretty alone in it. Right, because this is twenty years ago, and no one around me was. Uh, uh, starting to talk. No one around me was talking like I was starting to think. Mercy. Uh, but I was starting to experience freedom in this monumental way uh, as I s- understood who I was in Christ and who I was as a new creation. And uh, you didn't have anyone who could vibe with this, like any pastor or anything. You just understood it for yourself. You're like, the Bible says that I've died to sin and I'm now alive to God and that I should recognize that, that that is true. And so I'm going to believe it. And no one else is like vibing with that at all. No. Wow. Not fully. I mean, the idea that we are a sinner, uh, at least in the churches that I grew up in, sinners saved by grace, you know, and the grace of yeah. God being... Um, the way that they would say it is the mercy of God is God not giving you what you deserve, and the grace of God is God giving you more than you deserve, mm-hmm. which uh, I wasn't fully even happy with that description. But um, that idea that the grace of God, that uh, we could do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that idea was there in everything. Mm-hmm. But it was also uh, partnered with the idea that you are never going to be free, and that you are uh, that you are always going to uh, be stuck, or that the sanctification process is this long, arduous time. You know, like what what I was taught without being taught was. Uh, instead of it saying, cast off the old man and put on the new, which is created in true righteousness and holiness, mm-hmm. what I was taught is pray that someday through lots of Bible study and wisdom and time, you may be able to cast off the old man and put on the new. Right. For sure. Instead of it being just like a matter of fact, right? Like Paul it's said, it almost like rip off your garments, you know? Um. And so I saw that and I longed for, I knew that God was far bigger than any, um, like that God could heal me overnight of anything I was struggling with or that God could um, set me free, right? Like if he already died for it on the cross, if he also already crucified uh, not only my sin, but my flesh with its passions and desires on the cross, uh, Galatians like 524 if Christ already did that on the cross, what does that really mean? And so, yeah, I didn't have anyone around me really talking like that. And so, but but I I was not the type of person to be silent. Um, and mm-hmm. I maybe uh, maybe too uh, too much. I basically started fire hosing everyone with this joyous news that I, that I found, you know, what did, what did that look like? Like how did conversations start? Were you just like, Hey, do you know that you're a new person or how did, how did you go about it? 
Yeah, I'd be like, uh, uh, look at this. It says we're a new creation. What does that mean? You know, what does it mean in Romans six when it says we were buried with him and raised again with him, uh, uh, buried with him in his death and raised again with him in, in his resurrection? You know, what about Hebrews ten where it says uh, uh, talks about consciousness of sins and you know, like if the sacrifices weren't enough, how much more would his sacrifice on the cross be that it would even free us from consciousness. And so I start just having these conversations with people and I just start sharing with them everything that I was seeing because the scriptures were opening up to me. Like it was like all of a sudden the blinders got taken off and everything made sense. Whereas before I felt like I was studying the Bible in a fog, you know, and uh, people either absolutely loved it or they absolutely hated it. And there was no in-between because me being in my youth, I didn't know how to dialogue in a way that wasn't confrontational, unknowingly confrontational. I want to bring this up, and um, maybe you can't comment on it because this is from my experience. And uh, if you know any background of our family um most of our family is seventh day adventist and yep. you guys aren't and so i right. think when i think i heard about how excited you were and i loved the lord growing up but not in the way that i was searching the scriptures diligently like you were hmm. or like there was other stuff going on in my life and but even if you were searching the scriptures diligently and I wasn't, I could easily put you aside because you didn't know <laughs> the truth, quote unquote. And so right. this is just to say, like, either because of someone's age or someone's denominational affiliation, or because, like, we find so many hooks to hang doubt on. Right. That, oh, this person can't understand this, and this person can't understand this, because, and in my old lens of looking at something, I would not be able to, like, if you're saying you got, you have all of this now, well, the way I've been preached is the, the process, the sanctification being wor the work of a lifetime, um, and then, well, he must not understand it. He must not understand the work that we're going to go through for our whole lives to right. get this thing. And I, I'm just saying that to say uh, the enemy will just give you so many hooks to hang your doubt on and to disregard somebody and label somebody so that you don't actually have to deal with what they're saying or what the Bible is actually saying. Right. And then you can just go off and be like, ah, label that person, and that's what labeling does. If you label them, then you don't have to deal with what, the, what they're actually saying. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, uh, you know, I, uh, was, I didn't know anything about Seventh-day Adventist until I started dating Christy. Right. And from what, from what I understood, there was this rift in the family when Christy's uh, parents uh, no longer became Seventh-day Adventist. And it was this like, okay, 
Chris, Christy told me, like, we don't talk about religion or what we believe, you know? Yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of an elephant in the room in some ways, but it was also kind of a like, man, why did they leave this truth or whatever? And it, it was weird and it kind of, uh, <laughs> it made this dynamic in the family that, um, in some ways, maybe parts of our family felt bad for this other part of the family. Right. And so it was kind of like weird eggshells, I think, both ways. Yes. Because there wasn't like this full understanding. And we, we joke about this uh, yeah. quite a bit. We joked about it growing up between the cousins. And the joke was, Christy is the favorite. <laughs> and we thought that Christy was the favorite maybe because of what had happened and so that you know we wanted to keep that part of the family close so they had to overdo how much christy who's my lovely cousin um the favorite but i think in hindsight now i'm realizing christy may have been the favorite but it's because she's the most beautiful person of all time and sweet person (laughs) of all time but yeah that's just a little background um to our family dynamic and how we we looked at it but yeah there was this elephant in the room and now this new guy is coming along and this dude is on fire but we really don't know how to deal with it or how to handle it because there's all this stuff kind of in the way yeah Um, and 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 maybe someone who listening has experienced something like that in their family where denominational barriers keep people from seeing truth or yeah i i don't think that our family is the only one who's ever dealt with any of this or um i wouldn't imagine but but yeah that's uh so as you're explaining this to christy how is it hitting her how is how is she getting the understanding of it yeah, she's soaking it up like a sponge, right? And uh, she starts to experience that freedom that's in Christ, too, because she actually grew up uh, in a church where she went to the pastor and said, uh, can we hear God? And he said, no, you hear God by reading the Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she was longing even just to to hear God and be led by the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of what I was coming to understand, I was immediately sharing with her and we were growing together in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we were leading Bible studies for a time. I was uh, uh, pastoring a home church, you know. But I remember when we went over that Christmas uh, to your parents' house, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like just circling back around just to say one thing on the denominational barrier. Uh, I remember interacting with you guys and and wondering whether you guys were saved or not. Because what I heard, <laughs> because what I heard about Seventh-day Adventism was the legalism part of it, uh-huh. the the rules and the order, and it's the same thing. Like we have, you know, hardline Baptists who are uh, just as legalistic, you know, on the Baptist denomination, or even in Methodist or these different denominations. There's there's the same things that I've heard uh, on your podcast. The struggles are the same things happening, kind of interdenominationally. Right. But I was coming to understand again. This is like twenty years ago. I was coming to understand my freedom in Christ, and I was feeling very alone in it, but I knew I was free. 
And mm-hmm. so part of what I was wondering is like, do they know, like, what do they believe and do they know the freedom that's in Christ or are they, are they steeped in the law, you know? And of course we would have answered yes. And, but I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for the rest of my family. For me, the answer was no, I did not know freedom, but I thought that I did. Or, you yeah. know, of course you would think that you would. Um, and, but no, I, I, I loved Jesus, but I wasn't free from sin. Yeah. I was, but it wasn't my reality because I didn't understand didn't it. it. Yeah. I didn't even know where, that yeah. it said that in the Bible. I thought that it was our job to get victory over sin because look how much he loved you. So try right. harder. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is what I, I grew up uh, at times being taught as well, you know, in, a diff- in different denominations. Yeah. So. So when you're explaining this to people, how long did you go on on this, like this just energy and keep trying to explain it to people? Yeah, probably uh, four or five years because I'm pretty stubborn. And uh, I had a, a lot of great, you know, like God did really amazing things where I saw people's lives transformed. And in turn, I also had a lot of broken relationships for people that were really close to me. And um, at the time, uh, I was like probably a year or two in as I was firehosing everyone, the men that I looked up to in the church, instead of them coming alongside me and saying to me like, hey, bro, uh, you're firehosing people, take a chill pill, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, They came to me and they said, uh, they basically rejected me. Like they said, you believe that you are perfect and uh, what you're saying is not right. And so I was a, I was a history major, major with a minor in ancient Greek in college, and my plan was to go to seminary. And when that happened, I, um, I said, well, if this is what Christian society is about, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, like I loved the Lord. Um, my relationship with him wasn't faltering, but my, my confidence in the, the, believers around me was shaken and I decided that I no longer wanted to go to cemetery as I called it. Like I changed it from seminary to cemetery because <laughs> it's very rebellious. And it took like four, four or five years for me as I'm uh, just uh, throwing it out there, ministering to people, not knowing fully how to meet people where they're at uh, and communicate with them in the way that they communicate for them to come to understand in the way that they would understand. I was communicating for myself. Um, it, I, I finally heard the Lord say to me, Hey, Dan, everyone is a different type of plant and you need to depend on me on how much water to put on that plant. Uh, Cause there's a bunch of plants that you're killing because you're overwatering them and you need to, you need to drip it with these guys, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and move at my pace. And so I began to just really understand what it looked like to disciple someone as opposed to just throwing out as much information as possible, expecting them to be able to pick up what I was laying down, you know. Had you experienced the transformation in your life, though, 
like, had you become more loving? Had you become more patient and understanding the fruits of the spirit? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I realized that, you know, if, if we have all things in him, right. And Paul said, it's Mm -hmm. by the grace of God that I am who I am. And in my six month grace study, uh, I was able to kind of define grace for myself as the power of God enacted on our life, Mm. you know, 100%. Um, like that Greek word kadis, where charismatic comes from, uh, the power of God. Like I, I, I realized that the grace of God was so much more than just him, uh, giving us more than we deserve. Right. Uh, it was, it's like, a it's like a, um, it's like analogy of a po- police officer, right? You're speeding and you get pulled over and mercy is the cop not giving you a ticket. Grace is the cop not only not giving you a ticket, but giving you $500 and sending you on your way with blessing. Hmm. And so when I began to understand that and I began to understand the transformational work of Christ in my life, when I began to understand how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and that there's a lot of lies that I'm believing that keep me uh, focused on my old self and keep me trapped in my old habits of thinking, I started to try to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then God began to transform my life far past uh, just the hard sins that I was struggling with. Because the hard sins were, it was actually really freeing to realize that I uh, had freedom in him. And oh, I'll say this, my idea of forgiveness and confession changed when I began to Mm. understand uh, what he did on the cross and that I was a new creation. So my idea of forgiveness and confession went from uh, God, please forgive me and waiting uh, to be able to repent or turn around because I, I didn't have the strength to turn around to realizing that he died for my sins once for all, that he uh, set me free so that I could walk in newness of life, that my identity is in him. Um, and so confession and repentance was, it went to you're right, Lord, what I am doing is wrong. Mm. And I acknowledge that. Like I confess to you what you're showing me in, in your spirit, that what I'm doing is wrong. I confess to you and I thank you for forgiving me and dying for me and setting Mm. me free. And so now because of that in you, I'm going to turn around and go the opposite direction. I'm going to go the direction you were telling me to go and stop doing this thing that I know you're telling me not to do anymore. Hmm. Right? So as a, a stance of freedom and a stance of identity in him as opposed to being this old uh, sinful wretch that somewhere Jesus was somewhere some somewhere out there, you know. Uh, and he did something on the cross to maybe someday I'd be able to be free from all this sin. This is an aside, but do you believe that the early church really understood this? And that through the years, through, and I don't want to throw darts, but I feel like there's some movements that have made this what it is today. 
do you think that they really, I mean, when Paul's preaching this to them, they're like, oh, okay, we get it. Yeah, I think so. They had to have. Like, Paul clearly understood it, and he talked to them uh, in very matter-of-fact ways, right? Like, he said, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And in the Greek, that's very, very clear. There's no way to translate that otherwise, you know? Walk in the yeah. Spirit, and you won't uh, do, uh, do the lusts of the flesh. And... uh you know, he he says, "Cast off the old man and put on the new, which was created in true righteous and try true righteousness and holiness." Hebrews twelve, which completely transformed my life. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and weight which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance. Well, he's not talking uh, in this mindset that it seems like. Uh, all the denominations, or a lot of the denominations that I see, uh, are sitting in in this um, legalistic, uh, works-based, uh, or sin management mindset to follow God. Like a lot of what they're doing is to try to be able to sin less instead mm -hmm. of live in a way that honors and glories and pleases God. Because they they think that, like, like what I came to understand was what Christ did on the cross was to bring me to a state where I could walk and talk with God again, like in the Garden of Eden, you know? Like, he restored that. In the fall of 2019, the Love Reality Squad made it back to PVC where we recorded wave two which is uh, the jump off from Tyler and Morgan's story Joyce and Will BB all of that is is free on YouTube at PVC Life it's called uh, Love Reality Tour Ransom and Renewed so if you want to hear the whole week of wave two uh, check out PVC Life Love Reality Tour Ransom and Renewed you'll be blessed but I love the, um, and I don't know what you think about this, but one of my favorite when I was when I was studying Greek, you know, we had our Greek New Testament. This is like Texas Tech University, so this is not a this is not a Christian school, and we're going through uh, the Greek New Testament uh, in our Greek class, you know, uh -huh. and uh, we went through John. And John 1, you know, in beginning, like it doesn't even say in the beginning, because the is a frame of time reference. It just says in beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you look and you see in Genesis where everything was spoken into existence, and that is how everything was created through him and for him, because God spoke and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. And so it really, like, for me, the centrality of what Christ did on the cross and the understanding of being alive in him, just as the world was created through him, and just as I experience freedom in him, like, took it to a whole nother level for me, you know? Mm. 
So after these four or five years and you're not going to cemetery yeah. and, <laughs> and, uh, what did you, what did you decided? Like, where was God leading you and what you were going to do with this newfound freedom that you were experiencing and living in? Yeah. I mean, I have to admit that I, I only endured for a certain amount of time alone before I got really discouraged, you know? And, um, Christy and I struggled. We experienced a lot of heartache, um, a lot of misunderstandings. And there was a point where we stopped going to church and we just sought the Lord on our own. And uh, I remember we were sitting in the parking lot of this one church in Lubbock. And we we had tried out these other churches um, and, and we were just hurting and, uh, you know, all kinds of just mess, churches, church splits, all, you know. All yep. the things. For sure. And uh and we're sitting in this parking lot and I was like, Chrissy, I can't go in. Like I can't do this again. And she's like, Yeah, I can't either. And so we left. Like we made it to the parking lot, you know? And we did it again and we could only make it to the parking lot. And then the third time we went in. And luckily that church was just a beautiful, amazing church that understood community. And so we began to heal, but the wounds were deep enough that it lingered for years uh, with uh, with us. And I fell into a state where, because I felt like I was one of the only people I knew that, that understood this, I um, started being careful with what I believed and and kind of holding back yeah, hmm. uh, because it just felt like I was just like beating my head against a brick wall, you know? And, um, I, I, instead of doing like large groups of people or everyone I saw, I started, uh, I, I felt like I tried to do what Christ did where you pour into a couple, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and so we we always had Bible studies, and we always um, we always were uh, uh, helping and walking alongside uh, people as they were trying to also follow the Lord, not shying away from sharing with them who they are as a new creation. Uh, but on a big sense, I kind of I kind of held back, even though I felt called to ministry. I saw this big vision. Um, I I was wounded and hurt and I and I held back and so um it, I started a photography business right out of college cuz of course my my life plan changed um but the photography business was really just a means to the end cuz I knew I was still called to ministry but I didn't know how God was going to do it mm. and uh the Lord blessed me with it like he I would point the camera where he told me to point it and I would press the button when he told me to press it. And, uh, the pictures were beautiful, you know, like there was no, there was no me in that, you know, like I always Mm -hmm. felt like, uh, this is totally, uh, not something that I, this is the Lord, you know? And so he really, uh, he really, really blessed it. Um, we did really well. Um, and while, while we were going, uh, so I had the photography business. I stopped it for a while and built and ran an e-commerce website for an outdoor store. We moved. Uh, and during that time while I'm uh, doing this e-commerce website, uh, Christy gets pregnant with our first child. Mm-hmm. And we don't know whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. 
and I go to bed and I have this dream. And it was one of those dreams uh, where you wake up and you're like, whoa, that wasn't a dream. And the dream was that I was knelt on the beach taking a picture of my two boys and the oldest one had red hair and the second one had a brownish hair. Hmm. And I woke up and I said, we're going to have two boys and the oldest one is going to have red hair and the second one's going to have brownish hair. And Chrissy's like, okay, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) A cool story, bro. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so sure enough, we find out it's going to be a boy. And sure enough, uh, uh, although Christy didn't believe it because Holman babies are bald for the first year of their life, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had red peach fuzz and I knew it. Like I knew he was going to be a redhead. And so when his hair finally started coming in and it was evident that it was red, Christy's like, oh, interesting. And so we moved down to San Antonio. Um, I take a job uh, working for a startup tech company doing uh, uh, web and and marketing and stuff like that. That doesn't go so well. And so I start my photography business back up. And uh, Christy gets pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that's a boy. And during that time, it was probably almost 20 years after the call, like 18 to 20 years after I felt that uh, when I was 13 and I was sitting in that wheelchair, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I feel like, and in God's eyes, it's nothing, but I feel like 20 years is a long time of waiting to be, you know, in ministry, to be a missionary. And, uh, and so while Christy was pregnant with Joshua, I started getting depressed because I started thinking like, maybe this is just a childhood dream. Like maybe like the only thing that God's really blessed has been my photography business. So maybe I was deceived in that. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm just supposed to be a photographer, even though my heart was not fully in it. And so I started to give up on my call and I would see my friends who were preaching and just be jealous, you know, just like. Mm. Why are they able to do that? And I can't, you know. And uh, when Joshua was born and I'm holding him, he was born with the exact same color of hair that was in my dream. Hmm. When Joshua was born and I was holding him, I had another moment where God spoke to me and he said, you may feel like your life is a rabbit trail, but I'm proving to you right now that I have a plan for you and I'm in control, you know. Hmm. Cause I did not have to give you that dream two years ago. And I'm like, okay, God, you know, like crying, you know, as he's speaking to me and they're like, Oh, he's so happy to be holding his son, you know? And God <laughs> just like speaking truth into my life, you know, like giving me that moment that I needed because I was about to give up. Like I just couldn't do it anymore, you know? And I realized that all these things that I had learned over the years as uh, a, uh, an adult, uh, God was going to use. And so it wasn't long after that, while I still had our business um, and I was doing several other things, I was I was uh, I had an opportunity to be on staff at our church, and so I started out with operations, and then I ran the men's ministry, and uh, and it was it was hard because it was a lot of hours, you know, when you're doing double duty, like you're doing ministry and your own business, like it, it was crazy. And then on top of that, we felt the Lord leading us to sell everything that we have and move into the RV, which I know everyone in the family thought, you know, we've, we've never made decisions that were, um, uh, 
mainstream when it came to family perspectives, you know? Right. And so, so, but we knew the Lord was telling us for a reason. And so we sold everything that we had and we moved into an RV. Let me, let me ask you this question. And maybe this is before or after, but this, this moment, and this is one thing that I heard about, about your guys' faith was this moment where uh, CPS comes in because they think, was this before that, before the RV or after the RV? Yeah, this is before the RV. Can, yeah. can you tell that story? Because I think that, or maybe that story isn't relevant to this, but it just seems like you guys were growing in faith even through these, this horrible stuff that was the enemy was trying to get you down with. Yeah, I feel like we've we've uh, had that regularly in our lives, and if you guys, if you or uh, anyone ever has an opportunity to hop on our newsletter and see Christy's emails of our adventures, uh, she's an amazing writer, and people like literally, they're like, "Oh, Christy's email came in in the inbox. Everyone gather around, you know, because she's like writing a book, you know." Um, so we have that stuff regularly happen, but basically, what happened was Joshua was two months old. No, two weeks old. He was two weeks old, and he rolled himself off of our bed, which two-week-olds, you know, like Eric when he was two weeks old. Eric when he was 15 weeks old was this giant slug baby, you know? Like, (laughs) there's no way we thought a two-week-old could roll themselves over, much less roll off of the bed. And he rolled off of the bed. And so we freaked out, you know, watched him overnight. Uh, He had some swelling, and so we took him to the hospital. A hospital held us there. They said, basically, like, it's our policy because he has a head injury and he's so young. We have to uh, x-ray his entire body and you have to pay for it. And we're going to call CPS. We wait there forever, wanting to leave, not knowing our rights. Um, And uh, CPS, the cop shows up. And the cop said, I don't see anything wrong here. You know, we had Eric, who was two, and he had sat for... 10 hours in the hospital and was still being a good kid, you know? Uh Um, And the CPS workers show up and they split us in separate rooms and they start interrogating us. They make it sound like they have the cops on their side and that we're going to have our kids taken away from us unless we tell them everything. And they follow us to our home and they ask when we get to the front door, they're like, hey, can we come in? Well, the way they had been talking to us before, we thought, we thought, like, why are you asking this? You, you have very clearly shown us your authority and power. Like, why are you asking this? We didn't know that we could say, hey, get a warrant, you know, like, yeah. no, you cannot come in, go through the process and get a warrant. Um, but because we had never had any run in with the law or anything like that, we didn't, we didn't know our rights. And so he said, sure. The guy came in and took some pictures. He wanted to take pictures of Eric. Eric's two, and he's falling all over the place, and he had bruises on his legs from falling, you know, and he wanted to take pictures of that. I said, no, you cannot take pictures of my son. So the guy said, all right, well, I'm going to go make some calls. And he goes out to talk to his supervisor, and he comes back in. He said, well, my supervisor said that we should take your kids from you. But but I'm going to have you sign this safety plan that is uh, is uh, going to um, make sure that your child is safe and you can't have any unsupervised supervision with your children until we get to the case, which could be a month from now. And on the bottom of that little safety plan is 
uh, writing that says, like, by signing this, you're giving the government permission to give money to CPS, you know? So you realize, like, wait a minute. The only way they're getting paid for this is if I sign this paper and they put these uh, laws on me, you know? Uh-huh. It was a process, man. Like, Christy had it on her record. She's an elementary school teacher, and she has abuse on her record, and it took, like, six months to get it off of her record. We had to, we were guilty until proven innocent. And luckily we found out the reason why they put those on is because their experts said it's not possible for a two month old to roll over or two week old to roll over. And so we laid Joshua in his boppy in the pack and play and got video of him rolling himself over that next week and sent it to them to prove our innocence because we were guilty until proven innocent. And, um, yeah, it was a mess. It was a mess. How did you handle that with, um, like, were, did you get tempted to go back to the same place of of you with your wheelchair and you with this accident? Or were, were was God just, tell me about that, like, what you were considering yeah. and, and the fear that comes with all of that? Yeah. You know, you know, I, I, one thing that I didn't mention, and and this is, I don't know, I don't know what, what I have come to understand that has uh, a lot allowed me to be able to walk in this. But I remember when I was like eleven to thirteen, I did this Bible study called "Experiencing God." Um, Henry Henry Blackaby, I believe, is who wrote it, and one of the things that he talks about in that "Experiencing God" was like. God loves you and you can walk and talk with him. Hmm. And it challenged you to literally go for a walk and talk to God and listen to what he had to say to you. And that was so revolutionary, right? Like I just remember that walk, walking in Little Rock, Arkansas on the base in that neighborhood, just like talking to God and listening to him. Uh, and not even know verbally what he's speaking to me, but just experiencing peace and, and joy. And this is like somewhere between 11 and 13, you know? Uh-huh. So I knew at a very early age I could walk and talk with God. And then as I read uh, the scriptures and I saw, like Hebrews 11, all these um, cloud of witnesses, these people of faith— I realized that there was this like unshakable trust in the Lord that they had. Like they, they knew the Lord and no matter what their circumstances uh, were going on, they knew that he was in control and that they could find refuge in him. And so when, when the CPS thing happened um, or when different things have happened in our life, it's it's not it's not like other people where I'm questioning whether God is real or not or or why are uh, that thirteen that uh, wheelchair experience at thirteen was a pivotal moment for me because it was the point where I placed it, placed my trust in Him for whatever would happen right like. If you make a sacrificial commitment to him to the death, which I, you know, I don't know how I knew to make that. I just, I made it, you know, like I was, Mm -hmm. 
was willing to be a missionary and be a martyr, you know, like uh, the Elliots and of the world and these different people, you know, mm-hmm. um, when something like that CPS thing happened, it was not really a question of, uh, whether God was in control is more of a, like, man, are we going to get out of this? You know, like, are our kids going to be taken away from us? You know, um, and what 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 is God's plan in this, right? Because I think I've had enough happen in my life uh, growing up that I knew that He was going to use, I knew that He was going to use He uses everything for a reason, and mm. it's just that I don't know what that is. So, so yeah, uh, CPS was before we went full time RV and uh, lived when, in a when van they saw down that the video that you know? they. <laughs> When they saw that video, did they back off? Yeah, they did. But it still took uh, it still took them like three weeks to get to the case, and so I actually like called them up and said like, "Hey, this is you're talking about for the betterment of the child, but this is this is making our lives miserable. You know, like we have to have Christy's mom or my mom taking turns at all hours of the day being with Christy or with us." you know, and the kid is two weeks old and can't sleep in the bedroom with us, you know, like in the bassinet while the Christie's feeding him and all these other things. And they said, well, you know what, uh, because of that, we, and because Christy was the one, uh, you guys say Christy was the one that was overseeing the child, then we'll make you the supervisor of Christy. It makes no sense, but but the Lord caused favor there, and we were at least able to have our evenings together without someone being there. And then, um, and then they dropped the case at the end of the month, and uh, we had to go through a whole legal process to get it taken off of Christie's record. But they saw the video, and they and they realized they had not they couldn't. Like if the whole basis of them saying that was because a two week old couldn't roll over, and then we show video of a three week old rolling over, yeah, like what what can you do? You know, yeah, your your son. So then you uh, you you get on the the van down by the river, and yeah. uh, so God had kind of opened up ministry again to you in this way, or what what had happened there? Yeah, so uh, the church was a startup church. Um, planted off of Northeast Bible. It was called Stone Oak Bible Church in San Antonio. Uh, EFCA Church, Evangelical Free Church of America, um, which is kind of one of the most non-denominational denominations out there, you know, like the Mm -hmm. major on the majors and minor on the minors. And and so I had opportunity because, one, you know, finances was a thing, but two was just an opportunity to actually just serve in a leadership position. And so as this church was starting up, the pastor of that church, uh, gave me opportunity to be on staff. And so because of that, uh, we were looking at our finances and we realized that like we were a slow sinking ship. If I did this, I was either going to have to work 80 hours a week or we were a slow sinking ship. So no matter what. So so we tried everything 
uh, looked at apartments, looked at all this stuff, and we couldn't get the numbers low enough. And so I called Christy up and I said, hey, wh- what if we sell everything? I was driving down from a photo shoot in Austin. And I said, I got this. I felt like the Lord gave me this idea. What if we sell everything that we have and we move into an RV? And there's like this pause over the phone, you know, because I'm uh, dynamic in our relationship dynamics. I'm usually one with the crazy ideas and Christy's my governor, you know, <laughs> and uh, so there's this pause on the phone and she said, I'll make some calls. And I was like, oh, OK. Uh, <laughs> and so. Um, so uh, by the time I got back, she uh, she was um on this phone with this rv park up in the guadalupe river and she got off the phone and you you know christy she she is not very decisive uh she had met she's never been decisive in our relationship and she got off the phone and she said we are doing this and i was like okay we're doing this and so within a month and a half we had like five garage sales you know, we sold as much as we could, gave stuff away, and we went from 1,200 square feet to 288 square feet. Wow. And uh, everyone thought we were crazy. Like, we thought we were crazy, but we we knew the Lord was leading in it, you know. And, uh, and it was awesome. You know, our total expenses uh, for everything, uh, utilities, lot rent, uh, not the RV, but everything else, high-speed internet, all of that. Was like three eighty a month, huh. um, and so we kind of felt like we were living this t- retired life, you know, because uh, we were making good money with the photography business, and we were able to pay off all of our debt in like a year, you know, all our school wow. loans and all that. And uh, during this time, I was on staff with the church, and a year after that, or maybe a year and a half after that, uh. We felt like the Lord was saying, all right, now it's time to stop your photography business. You know, this this thing where you are making good money. Like we're bringing in six figures as uh, photographers, which is pretty good for a photographer in San Antonio. Yeah. And uh, the Lord told us to stop it. And so because we trust him, because we know he's in control, because we know he has a plan and he's going to, uh, if he takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of us? You know, mm-hmm. we stopped taking events, you know, which then not only did we just move into an RV, but now we're stopping the business and we looked like super crazy, you know? And, uh, and we, we still had plenty of events to shoot, but we stopped taking events and, and, um, a year after that, I'm still on staff at the church, but a year after that, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. Hmm. And I was doing the men's ministry, but I had a real heart for outreach, and I was trying to figure out how to get outreach implemented even in, within our men's ministry. And so I couldn't get anyone to go with me. Houston is three hours away from San Antonio. And so I packed up everything I have, and I went on my own. You know, some people gave me money and stuff, but I packed up everything I had and went on my own to Houston. And I helped muck and gut for a week and a half uh, with this EFCA church there. And my community group uh, from the church in San Antonio came on the weekend and helped. Uh, but other than that, it was uh, pretty much just me helping these people. 
And on the way back, I called one of the people from our denomination and said, like, hey, is there anything in the EFCA? Because I need to figure out how to get my men's ministry involved in this. You know, like this is a really good opportunity to be able to walk with people in their struggles and share the gospel with them, you know. Hmm. And she said, well, there's this group called uh, Reach Global Crisis Response. Uh, and she told me all about it. I said, are they looking for people? And she said, Dan, I don't want to steal you away from Stone Oak, but I actually think you would be perfect for it. And mm. so, and so, uh, next thing I know, two days later, I'm interviewing with the director and the, uh, associate director. And, um, uh, a couple of days later, I'm doing a, uh, I'm at a site in Friendswood looking at how they do things, asking, you know, like what's. This is great. What are the what's the da- what are the downsides of this ministry? You know, because I didn't want to go in with rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. And then I went back home, and we prayed about it, and we knew that the Lord was leading us to join. And within two to three weeks, we packed everything up, and we moved to Houston, like we moved mm. to Friendswood, and uh, we were perfectly positioned to go. You know, two years before God put us in an RV and then he caused us, he told us to, you know, stop taking events. We had no idea why. And when Hurricane Harvey hit, he had perfectly set us up to be able to to go. And so we went and we even went before we even got approval from Reach Global to go. Chrissy's like, they haven't even sent us our approval letter or anything like that. You know, like in the application process, I said, ah. It's fine. She's like, what What if we don't get approved? I said, Christy, we live in an RV. We can <laughs> always go back, you know, like this. <laughs> we can go wherever we want, you know. And so we went and joined Crisis Response and dove headfirst into uh, people's crisis you know, hmm. and begin to learn what it looks like to live missionally amidst crisis. And God has just been doing the most amazing things with us over the past four years. And I have so many stories and so many things that I could testify to and seeing God work uh, in in all the, all the things that have been happening, you know, like we uh, did Hurricane Harvey. I was the front end. I was on the front end response for Hurricane Florence over in North Carolina. I was driving around Nebraska, ministering to churches when, uh, remember when half of Nebraska was underwater a couple of years I ago? I remember that. I do remember yep. that. I was in all of that. Um, uh, May of 2020, uh, two dams broke up in Michigan near Midland. I was there the day after those dams broke and spent two and a half months there uh, helping uh, the church uh, see not only like what to do or or, or how to recover, but also that the beautiful ministry opportunity that they have, you know, because when something like that happens and people, uh, their homes are flooded or they, their things are destroyed, the things that they found to be stability, the things that, that were their world have now been ripped away from them. And they're questioning God. They're questioning themselves. Um, they're questioning all these things. And we in the ministry define crisis as the disruption of the normalcy of life that affects you deeply. So, so divorce, you know, sin, 
financial problems, hurricane, tornado, fire, anything can be a crisis, death of a loved one. And it's in that crisis that a mission field is actually present. And so, so uh, that's what we've been doing for the past four years. And currently we're over in uh, Paradise, California. Um, I landed there the day after the fire uh, three years ago. You know, a fire ripped through Paradise, California, uh, 60 mile an hour winds. It was moving at 80 football fields a minute. Mercy. Uh, 14,000 homes destroyed. And everyone, uh, everyone that I know had to drive through a wall of flames, not knowing what's on the other side, uh, to get out, you know, and they sat for hours in their car while the world burned around them. And so the amount of like trauma and loss that uh, took place there was unprecedented. And so for two and a half years, I consulted that project. I, minis- I ministered to the three EFCA churches in that area, helping them look at what it looks like to not only minister to their congregation, but survive, you know, right. and, uh, and then opportunity came for us to be able to set up shop there. And basically they had, they retrofitted the basement of the church. And so there are the whole bottom downstairs of the church is bunk rooms and we have a shower trailer and we have tools and churches send their teams on a missions trip for a week and they stay with us and, uh, they serve with us in the community and they love on our homeowners and we're helping people rebuild their homes and we're doing logging and all kinds of other stuff and pouring into the volunteers as they come, ministering to them, showing what it looks like to live missionally, uh, sharing the gospel, all of that, and then sending them home, hoping that they take it home with them and get that understanding as well. And so God has been faithful. He has provided in ma- amazing ways, and it's been really cool. And it's a, it's a beautiful story, and it's not even. You know, you're not even done with a third of your life yet. You know, we joke about that. Um, well, we're going to live forever. But let me ask you this as, as we kind of wrap up this thing. As you look at your whole story and you see where God has led and just kind of this understanding of the gospel that has led you to live faithful to his faithfulness, what would you say to someone who is hearing this and is just like, I, I do believe there's more, but I don't feel like I have access to the more. I don't know how to get it yet. And I want to live that abundant life. It doesn't look like moving to paradise or going to Houston. Maybe, maybe not. What would right. you say to someone who wants to live that abundant life? Yeah, I, I think that uh, there's, there's a couple factors that had to take place for me. So... Uh, first hearing the truth, you know, um, and, and, you know, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's a, there's a moment when we hear that the Holy Spirit has opportunity to move in us and to bring revelation or understanding, right? And so being open to what God would say to our inner being in the truth that we are hearing 
and then being willing to let go of control of whatever it is that we're hanging on to that's keeping us from being able to be free, you know? Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, it says submit to God, um, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And I feel like, I feel like that's a process laid out right there, you know, like in that state, and I can't remember where that's at in the Bible. That's um, James 4. James 4, yeah. Uh, submit to God, you know? Like, literally give your all to him in, in that moment and, and say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm here. I believe what you have to say. I submit to you. Please, please help me in what I don't know and what I don't believe. And I'm surrendering control of whatever it is, or I'm surrendering control of my life. And then for me, it's uh, walking in moment by moment dependence on him. So what that looks like is knowing that nothing that I do or nothing that I say in my own strength is uh, worth anything compared to what God could do through me or what God could do in me. Hmm. And so literally like depending on him and I, and taking every thought captives, like, uh, like not trusting what is in my head, uh, without it being filtered through Christ Mm. and, and, and giving my thoughts to him, giving my motivations to him and trusting him. And then just finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, like walking uh, as best I can in him, trusting that he's going to fill in the gap, you know? And then God begins to transform your mind. He begins to like make your chicken noodle soup of your mind and the lies or the truths that you believe, the lies especially. As you give those thoughts to him, he begins to transform your mind and begins to show you who he is and and what he did in order for you to be free in him and who you Mm -hmm. are as a new creation. And as you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And you begin to experience sanctification. You begin to experience that holy transformation that causes you to be more like him as you walk moment by moment in dependence on him. And so I realized like the process uh, that I felt like was outlined for me of this, like, like in order for me to be free, I'm going to have to have like 20 years of knowledge in order to be free from this super big sin. And maybe I only need like a couple of months of knowledge for these little sins, you know, like I had like mm-hmm. a, <laughs> right. but the truth, uh, sets you free. And it, if I can understand the truth in him, if I can hear what he has to say and, and accept it and walk in it, What's there saying that he can't set me free right now? Like, what's there saying that in this moment, if the Holy Spirit is leading, uh, maybe he's providing that opportunity right now for us to be free, for us to let go and be who he created us to be in him, you know? And then for the rest of our lives, we're learning about how free we are and we're growing in that freedom. But we're not growing to get freedom. We're growing within right. the freedom that he's given us through Jesus. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I always say, uh, we're finding out more and more who he created us to be. I love it. So, yeah. Well, this is beautiful. Thank you so much, man, for sharing, um, your story. I, it's, it's edifying to me and it's a blessing to me. And I think that, um, it's just like, what does the future hold? More. Yeah. More love. Absolutely. More transformation, more people receiving this truth uh, in your life and in my life. And as we just stay faithful to his faithfulness, he's going to finish this work that he started in us, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> there, there's no limit to what he can do. Uh, and if we're, if we're faithful to him and, and dependent on him, uh, living in a way that he gets the glory, then, I mean, his provision, uh, his favor, these different things that he does are just something where we can't help but praise him and glorify him, you know, and, and worship him with our lives. Super cool. No, man, it's, it's super humbling. Um, and it's kind of like God has given you all of these desires, right? And you had them from a, from a child. Like, I don't think it's an accident that, that from Jump Street, you want to be in ministry. Right. And then when you start walking out this freedom, he gives you the desires of your heart and you don't even ask for them. Right. He just shows up. So like, I think of that, like, I've always wanted to show people things. Like, that's why I had my blog. But when I didn't understand the gospel, it was self-serving and it was like, look at me, right. you know, in many ways. And then now in freedom, I have this platform here with this podcast that gets downloaded quite a bit. It's growing every week. Yeah. Um, but it's like he's given to me and I didn't even ask him. Right. And I didn't, I didn't sign up. I didn't, I have two friends that were in the spirit that were just like, Richard, you need to do this. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh maybe I could, and and uh, it's been a blessing to me, and I think it's been a blessing to many people. So, yeah, he gives us the desires of our heart. He really does, because he created our hearts that way specifically. Like you and I are the same and different, and now we're walking out like this thing that you don't do. I don't feel like you work a day in your life, man. You go out and you just get to love on people because that's what you were built to do. And now walking in freedom, you're, he's just like, yeah, go do it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with someone the other day, exactly what you're saying. Uh, I remember in high school, uh, I would see things happening on the news. You know, my dad was special ops military. And because I was run over by an 18-wheeler, I knew I wouldn't be in the military, even though I grew up shooting M16s and M60s, and I learned how to drive in a Humvee, you know, like... Mm -hmm. Totally wanted to be in the military, but that was never going to play out. But but I, I just would see these things happening, uh, like Hurricane Katrina or these different things. And go like, man, I really want to go help. Like, I really wish I could go help. And uh, I didn't, even though I was in crisis response, the aha moment of like those desires was when I was driving, Hurricane Florence was still raining on the East Coast, and I was driving through Florence, uh, South Carolina, during Hurricane Florence, you know? 
And all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to help, you know, like I've had this since high school and God is, God is fulfilling it. You know, it was just like this really humbling, uh, like, oh my goodness, this is what, what he, what he's created me to do, you know? And uh, I don't know how long it'll be, but I'm thankful for every moment that I have in him to be able to walk one, to be able to actually walk, but two, to be able to walk in him on this earth. Cause our days are numbered. We don't know how long we have and to be able to just be in him and worship him in what he has laid before us. I, I can't take that for granted, you know? So let's go after it, right? Yeah. Run the race with endurance. Fixing our eyes onto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, thanks, brother. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. You can feel freedom from within. Freedom fly, be the child that you always been. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.